Welcome to Fox and Frayed. I'm Anne without an E. And I'm Robin with a Y. We're the podcast that takes you down the reading rabbit hole. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. So before we get started today, I want to ask Anne if she has started It by Stephen King yet, which is our buddy read for this month. Okay, well, uh, you caught me because I haven't, and <laughs> I have a good reason though, which is that it's waiting for me at the library, and I have to go mm. and do curbside pickup, but because books have to be quarantined on both ends, like last time I went to the library, it just was there, but I couldn't, I couldn't have it, yeah. so yeah. yeah, very soon I'm going to be starting, and I'm very, very excited, Yeah, but also good. nervous. But I'm, I don't sleep well anyway, so. Yeah, I'm like almost 300 pages in. So I actually was incorrect in a previous episode. I said that my copy was 1,048 pages, but it's actually 1,077, which, okay, an extra like 30 pages isn't that much in the grand scheme of things, but when it's already at 1,000 pages, an extra 30 pages is like a lot, you know? It's like quite a bit, but I'm, yeah, so I'm like, about a third of the way through and it's so good. I really like it. It's definitely been like keeping me up at night. It definitely spooks me, but I'm not sure if I'm scared because I'm scared of what is being written. Like I don't know that what is actually happening in the book is that scary. Like this isn't a big spoiler, but there's a moment where they see a where a character sees a creature from a 1950s horror film. And like, it's just not scary. Like that particular creature that this character sees is just not frightening to me. But I imagine that in the 50s, it would have been really scary or in the 80s, which is like, it takes place in two timelines, right? In the 50s and the 80s. So I imagine in those periods, it might've been a little bit scarier, but that monster is like coming up on like 70 years old. So it's just not really like spooky. Like I'm, I was sort of like, oh, this isn't really that frightening. But it, I think that a part of me is scared because I like know that I'm supposed to be scared. Like I think I'm psyching myself out. You have to also think like the characters are children at this point, right? It's sort of like the book is split into parts. So like the first part is when they're adults and then it goes back to when they're kids and then it goes back to when they're adults. And then I think it's like, it's, it's weird, like the way that it's, there's five parts. So I think it's like adults, kids, adults, kids, adults. Okay. And so I'm in the second part when they're kids again. And so I think that'll get okay. scarier as it goes along, maybe like when they're adults, it might get a little bit like, cause your fears change as you get older. Right. And what you were afraid of as a True. kid doesn't really, it's not as scary, but yeah, I'm, I'm, ex- I'm excited. I really like it. It's, it really is a coming of age book. From what I know about it, like, I mean, I do kind of know that. That aspect seems really interesting. I think, like, part of what makes it scary is, like, at least, I mean, I was traumatized by the movie as a kid. (laughs) But how it really presents itself as what that person fears the most. And so when you see it or its apparitions from different perspectives, it is what that character fears. And so, like, yeah, not not what everyone is afraid of. Like, some people are deathly afraid of, like, heights or spiders or whatever. And, you know, maybe that those don't affect everyone. But I think that's yeah. what's scary is, like, you know, it's going to be, like, what I fear. And, like, even just imagining what you fear the most can, like, I don't know, yeah. set yeah. me off on a tailspin. And that's why I think the adult section will be a little bit scarier because I can relate more to what adults fear over what children fear. I I don't know. I, I still run up the stairs if it's dark. I do too. <laughs> From <sometimes>. the basement. <laughs> I cannot walk up basement stairs. I was talking to my friend about it because she knew me when I was a little kid and I first saw the movie when I was nine. So I was way too young to be seeing it, like way too young. And it totally traumatized me. And she was saying, you know, are you nuts? You're going to be scared for the rest of your life if you read the book. And I was thinking about like, I wasn't afraid of clowns growing up. Like, I had a clown at my birthday party. I wasn't afraid of clowns. So it wasn't the clown element that scared me so much. And I was thinking about what it was about it that frightened me so badly. Because I can remember scenes from the movie. And they're not, 
scary. Like the scenes that I remember don't scare me yet. Reading the book, there are certain moments that happen where I'm like, oh my God, I remember that scene. I must have like repressed it or something. But if I really have to be honest with myself about what scared me so much as a child is the idea that adults can be afraid. And like, I think as a kid, I thought, okay, you're afraid of all this dumb crap. And then when you're a grown up, the things that you really fear is like losing your job, something happening to a family member, getting sick or something like that. Or maybe, maybe like a break and enter in your house or something like that, like more real life stuff or like car accidents. But the fact that these adults are still so afraid of like a monster, I think really freaked me out and was like, oh my God, you're never safe. (laughs) You'll always be haunted by this stuff. I think that's what really got to me as a child. Hmm. I don't even know if I can pinpoint why it was so like alarming. I wonder how I will respond to reading the book. The way that it's sort of set up, like his writing is just so, so good in the book. Like it's so brilliant and you get to know every single character so well. And even though I'm not that far into it, I really feel like I know all of the characters and you know about their family members, you know about like their aunts, all of the side characters, you know, their lives. It's so good. Oh my gosh. And you, you're going to have to look up online a map of the town. Because he, he really has like the whole yeah. community sort of shaped. And so there are like fan-made maps of the town. Mm-hmm. And you get to know all of the lore and all of the history of the town as well, which just brings the whole community to life. Like it's just so, so rich. And you just love all of the kids. Like they're all so cute and you love their friendship and how much they care about each other. And it's just, oh my gosh, it's really nice. Okay, I'm like definitely as soon as we're done recording this, I'll go to the library and pick it up. Good. Because yeah, I have wanted to read this for a long time. And I think it's a good time to read it. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so moving on, our topic of today is Goodreads and all of the controversy of Goodreads and why Anne and I have decided to quit Goodreads this year. Uh, We're no longer using it. And we'll talk a little bit more about where you can follow our reading at the end. So in researching this episode, there was a little bit of difficulty because Amazon is like weirdly secretive about Goodreads and we're not investigative journalists. So it was difficult to find some of the information that we wanted to talk about. Everything that we say in the podcast this episode and most episodes is either our opinions or what we believe is to be fact to the best of our abilities. So when I was researching this, I primarily used Wikipedia and I would check the Wikipedia sources to make sure that they seemed reliable and some news sources as well that also seemed reliable. If anyone listening hears that, like, hears something that is wrong, don't hesitate to email us or send us a message over Instagram um, and just we'll correct it once we're notified that some of the information was incorrect. And we'll plug our contact information for our Instagram and our email account at the end of the episode. And one source that we used a lot in this article was titled Almost Everything About Goodreads is Broken by the website One Zero. So, and do you want to start with the history or should I? I can do a little bit of history. Um, So Goodreads started out pretty well and well-intentioned. It was founded in late 2006 and launched about a month later in 2007 by Otis Chandler and Elizabeth Crew Chandler. Um, by 2012, it had grown to 10 million users and 20 million monthly visits and only 30 employees. So this couple who created Goodreads um, were an engineer and a journalist and had worked on other online websites before. So Goodreads was inspired by Otis Chandler um, when he was browsing through his friend's bookshelf and wanted to create the same experience online, which like I totally get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think we've all kind of felt that way. So in 2011, Goodreads actually acquired Discover Reads, which is a book recommendation algorithm. And so if you've used Goodreads, you know that the site is like constantly recommending you books based on what books you've liked in the past and the books that people with similar taste have liked. Once you've rated 20 books on a five-star scale system, then the site will begin to make recommendations. And so 
Otis believed that this was better than Amazon as Amazon made recommendations on books you have browsed or purchased, even if it's a gift. So he wanted something more personalized to you, like what you are actually reading instead of just maybe what you're looking at or like buying for someone else because Amazon is just a business. What turned out to be a fateful day, March 28th, 2013, Amazon announced it was planning to purchase Goodreads. And that kind of brings us to our current dilemma. So in July of 2019, Goodreads had 90 million members. That's a lot of members. That's a lot of people using your platform. It's basically a monopoly. I don't believe we need to spend too much time discussing why eliminate elimination of competition within the market is wrong. Um, but when there's no competition, it really allows large companies to practice unethical and even illegal behavior unchecked. And it also really stunts like growth and creativity and advancement because there's no need. Yeah. In 2007, Amazon purchased another book social media site called Shelfari and merged it with Goodreads in 2016. So going as far as removing some of the features of Shelfari and forcing previous Shelfari users to only use Goodreads. The Authors Guild, which is the oldest and largest professional organization for writers in America, advocating free expression and copyright protection, said that Amazon's purchase of Goodreads was, quote, a truly devastating act of vertical integration and that control of online book selling approaches the insurmountable. End quote. Yeah. So why are we discussing Amazon at all, right? Like this is an episode about Goodreads. So there's been a lot of negativity towards Amazon recently, but especially since the start of the pandemic, it's really ramped up. So I'm, we're not going to spend a lot of time discussing this because there's a lot to unpack and analyze. But generally speaking, Amazon has had some pretty terrible business practices Yes, they do have some charitable giving and give back programs, but overall the company is very abusive to its employees and to the environment. Further, Jeff Bezos, who owns Amazon and who up till yesterday was the richest man in the world, but was dethroned by Elon Musk. He's not, Jeff is not a good dude. He's not a great guy. According to an article in The Guardian in August 2020, Bezos is on track to be the world's first trillionaire by 2025. No one needs that amount of money. Like no one needs that amount of money when there are people who can barely get by, especially now with the pandemic where millions of Americans are out of work, can't eat or getting evicted. Like it's just totally unethical for any one person to have that amount of money. And Bezos gives like not a lot back to our world. Uh, the largest donation that I can find from him was a $10 billion donation to fight climate change in February of 2020, but the donation was actually made through his, his own fund. So it wasn't like he was giving money to an outside organization. It was just going back into his own companies. Further, Bezos is almost worth $200 billion, so $10 billion isn't really much in the grand scheme of things. Again, there are like a ton of sources on Bezos' lack of philanthropy and how abusive Amazon is. And Jeff Bezos himself and Amazon pay almost no taxes every year. There are a lot of reasons why this behavior is totally unacceptable. And we really recommend that people read into that and do some more research and stop using Amazon's services. We used to have an Audible account, which we canceled because we don't want to support Amazon anymore. This is all to say that Amazon and Bezos do not need more support from us and therefore Goodreads does not need our support. Okay. So as far as I can tell, Goodreads and Amazon have not updated their algorithm since 2011, the one that we just discussed, Discover Reads. That is 10 years. So I could be wrong, but I can't find a single source saying that it has been updated. And we know that obviously algorithms and technology have improved in the last 10 years. So there's no reason for them to continue using an ineffective algorithm that is kind of a little bit broken. Uh, because Amazon has a near monopoly on reading social sites, they have no incentive to update the site or the algorithm. And it even seems like their desktop user interface has not been updated since at least 2012. And I'm pretty sure that I joined in 2012. And I honestly do not remember it ever changing. And I have tried to find examples of what it used to look like. And everything that I find is like exactly the same as what it is today. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, anyone who uses the Goodreads app knows that it is truly ancient and also has not been updated in years. 
My local library has updated their app, but a website that's owned by Amazon can't be bothered to do it, which is really unacceptable, really poor uh, user experience. It shows that they really take their users for granted if they're not willing to improve our experience. As we know, Book Goodreads has a book catalog much in the same way a library or a bookstore does, and it's maintained by what they call volunteer librarians. So once you have, I believe, 50 reviews on your user profile or through your account, you can become a librarian, which means you can edit a book or author information or add like cover images, update additions, like whatever. You can just change the information to make sure that it's accurate. So the issue with this is that a company as wealthy and as large as Amazon is using free labor. In reality, Amazon can afford to hire staff to address these issues, even if they aren't full-time staff. According, and again, it was really hard to find full information about this stuff. They are weirdly secretive about it. But according to the official Goodreads LinkedIn page, they have 254 employees. So in contrast to that, the Goodreads librarians group has over 100,000 members. Obviously, this is an open group, so not everyone in it is a Goodreads librarian, but even if a 16th of those people are librarians, it's still almost 30 times more than that of Goodreads full-time employees. Of course, not everyone works for money, and there's a lot of value in volunteering, and people who do volunteer are very important and incredible people, but at a certain point, it begins to seem a little bit exploitative. Yeah, it seems like Amazon also doesn't use any professional reviewers for Goodreads. They exclusively use the average person. So that's not all bad. It allows for the average reader's voice to be heard and it allows for a little bit more democratization of reviewing. It also should be said that top reviewers do get incentives such as advanced copies of books from publishers, which people call um, ARCs, A-R-C, advanced reader copies. However, many people leave lengthy and detailed reviews and receive nothing for it. They are simply giving a multi-billion dollar company more power and providing more reasons for users to stay with Goodreads instead of moving to a different site where they might find that their labor is appreciated a little bit more. So if you're wondering how Amazon could pay for more people, if having a Goodreads account is free, how do they pay for more employees if we don't pay for Goodreads? So for starters, if you're looking to purchase a book and use Goodreads to link you to a site to sell it, takes you to Amazon. Secondly, Goodreads does make money from advertising, so they do profit from our use of the website. They're making money from us. Even if you don't pay, nothing is free. There's no such thing as a free lunch. So moving on to how Goodreads fails its users, as we previously touched on, it has not updated anything for years. As we said, it has no reason to because there's no competition. So Goodreads does not have a DNF option, which means did not finish. This to me is just beyond the pale. DNFing is such a commonly used term in the book community that to have not have this feature is such an oversight that it seems like a deliberate omission from Goodreads. I don't know why they would deliberately omit it, but I can only assume that they are just being lazy. I don't want to rate a book as one star if I didn't finish it. That's, I don't believe that that's fair to the author. I want it to be listed as did not finish because that's the truth. Like, and I want to be able to say why I didn't finish it. Was it because I really hated it? Was it because I got distracted by other books or what? Like what happened that caused me to not finish this book? I don't want my rating to impact the rating of the book. And I can't tell you the number of times I've seen reviews that state one star, but I actually didn't finish. So you can create shelves on Goodreads. If you're looking to organize your online catalog, but it's very awkward and just really clunky, I have several unfinished shelves because it's such a hassle to organize my books. And most of the users I have seen online also have a lot of unfinished shelves that are just like really awkward and weird. Goodreads also has a list where users can vote for say like the top 100 books that were published in the 1990s or the top 100 fantasy books, like any kind of list that you can think of, it's there. However, most of these lists have the exact same books on each list, like Harry Potter, The Hunger Games, Twilight, whatever. All those sorts of books are on every single list, it seems. <laughs> yes, being able to vote on these books does allow readers to have a little bit more say, but there should be some kind of mechanism or feature that allows for diversity in books, or in the list, rather, excuse me. So my suggestion would be allowing certain members of book clubs or groups to create lists that they have curated. So the article from 1.0 suggested that we should allow authors and certain reviewers to have a slightly larger platform so that, so they can share their own lists or recommendations. So for example, the Reese Witherspoon book club could maybe have their own list where only approved members are allowed to vote on it. And that way the list can be a little bit more curated and um, worthwhile looking at a little bit more helpful. Rating is 
broken. You currently have two options for reviewing on Goodreads. So either you can give it a star rating and there are no half or quarter stars. You can only give a book one, two, three, four, or five out of five stars and or leave a review. That's it. You have no option to comment on pacing, character development, themes of the book, or anything else. If you want to mention anything beyond a simple rating, you must take the time to write a review in words. This is ridiculous. A company like Amazon has more than enough resources to improve a rating system. Even giving us the option to do half stars would be a simple change, but they, they're unwilling to do it for whatever reason. I don't believe the rating system has been updated since the creation of Goodreads, as far as I can tell. So the next complaint that we have is the friends section. So we also have this in the pros section because, you know, it, it, why sign up for a book social media site if you don't want to have your friends on there? But I, I, I think we can do a whole episode on this about the pressure of sharing your books with friends, but there's no way to hide books on Goodreads. So there can be fear of judgment over the books that you read or what you rate books. I recently just finished a book called The Romance Book Club. <laughs> so I'm a little bit embarrassed by that, but I'll talk about that more in the next episode. But it can be embarrassing to put that on Goodreads because I do have friends on there who will judge me for reading a book like that. And it can sort of ruin the reading experience. I don't want my friend's judgment of my books tarnishing how I really feel about the book. Like I don't want to be reading it and be like, oh my gosh, what's Anne going to think of me reading this book? I want to just read the book and experience it authentically. I do know some of our friends have decided to rate the books based on how happy it made them rather on the quality of the book. But again, there's no way to illustrate that other than in the review section by taking the time to write a full review. Goodreads also screws over small authors and publishers. So authors, authors and publishers can pay to have their work promoted through Goodreads. And Goodreads claims that this is a relatively inexpensive option, but I was unable to find a price through them. You have to like apply and then you get, you get quoted. Other sources say it costs anywhere between 15 and 50 cents per click on your advertisement. Either way, this does provide favoritism to large publishers and major authors. I know that if I published a book, I wouldn't be able to afford to pay for advertising if it was 50 cents per click. Even 15 cents per click is quite a bit. Like, that's a lot. Yeah, that's um, a lot. Yeah, and it does, so it definitely is providing like favoritism to major book publishers and major authors. Finally, it links people who are looking to purchase books to Amazon, which really hurts small independent bookstores. And I think we're going to have to do another episode on why it's so important to support small and independent bookstores. But that's enough for me. And you want to talk about some of the, the pros of Goodreads, what we like about it. Yes. Yeah. So there are like, it's not all bad. And that's why we've been on this platform unlike why we're attracted to it. Um, there's like a little bit of hesitation for us to put this particular thing into the pros column because it's a little controversial. The good thing, or one of the good things about Goodreads is that you do get fairly honest reviews and Goodreads removes reviews that are negative if the reviews are based on an author's personal actions. So for example, if an author says something homophobic, reviewers can't go and give the author a bunch of one-star reviews and drive down their averages on Goodreads. This is worth having a whole episode on because like as the issue of whether you should judge a book by its author is like very controversial. However, like in this case, it at least allows the work to stand on its own and then the readers can decide whether or not they will support the author based on that. Friends is definitely a pro and one of the main reasons that I got Goodreads in the first place. I imagine that for a lot of people, the reason that they join Goodreads is to share books and review with friends or other like book influencers that they follow online. And like we do like seeing our friends' books, especially when they see when you get to see that your friend has finally like read a book that you've already read, and then you know you can like bombard them with like your opinions and like talk about the book with someone else. That aspect is good. I mean, there's also cons to the friends thing which like we've talked a lot about cons, but it can be, yeah, competitive or like you can be self-conscious about your reading. So like that's why friends is kind of like, it's good, but I wish there was a little bit more control of how you share with your friends. Another good thing though, is that you can keep up with authors and authors have the option to become a Goodreads author. Um, it's sort of a creepy title to begin with. They aren't a Goodreads author. They are an author. 
But anyway, uh, they can sign up to be verified authors and they can then answer questions from readers, link their site, or share what books they are currently reading. Although that is a bizarrely small feature tucked away into the corner of the author's profile page. Something else that I wanted to add that I just I just thought of is that I really like that Goodreads has a option to have like conversations with other readers that you are not connected to through friends. So there are like groups on Goodreads, right? And so you can join a group and then have conversations with people about books and you can get like notifications if there's updates in the group or if someone who's applied to something that you said or whatever. But the form is like something from the early 2000s. Like they have not updated the form in years and it's just so outdated and bizarre. Like it's just very, very strange. I really recommend that if you haven't gone and looked at it, you should because it, like it's just so bizarre. I had something else I wanted to say. Oh, the other thing that I wanted to mention is that their friends function doesn't always work. Like I know someone who has Goodreads and her and I were trying to add each other through our phones and she couldn't find me and I couldn't find her. And then I added her on Facebook so that I could maybe like click on Facebook friends and find her and it still wouldn't show her. Like it just didn't work. It was so weird. So that's something that they also need to update as well. Yeah, I definitely have also had a lot of issues with like adding friends to the app, like, yeah. or even like, I don't usually use the desktop very often, but I think I have had to go into the desktop to actually like add friends on occasion. Like the app is just so weirdly bad. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's annoying. I don't like it, but like our bigger platforms, Facebook, Instagram, they are constantly updating, constantly yeah. improving user experience, even though like I hate the transition. <laughs> but you know, like 90 million members and you don't improve anything, like it's yeah. bizarre. It's embarrassing. Like I I don't get it. Because it is a huge social media platform with so many users, the fact that communicating and actually like networking with people is so clunky and awkward and like antiquated is really disappointing considering like the advancements in so many other platforms. Yeah. Yeah. It's really strange. So there are some things that we're going to miss about Goodreads now that we've moved on from it. And we're going to talk about what we, what we are going to miss and how we're going to address that so that we don't miss out on that in our reading experience. So the first thing that comes to mind for me is that I'm really going to miss the new color for the Goodreads challenge. So every year they update their little icon for the Goodreads challenge with a new color. So um, it's just sort of a fun, cute thing to see what color they've picked. And this year, they actually let Ariel Bissett, who is a booktuber, pick the color. She, for the last three years, has been doing reaction videos where she predicts the color and then she reacts to what color it is. And you know, she has all these like conspiracy theories over what color they're going to pick. And she's, I don't think she's ever been happy with the color. And she would send Goodreads these like funny little emails explaining why they should let her pick the color. And they actually did this year, which was super cool. And she did a really fun video over on her YouTube channel. So please go check that out. She's a really interesting woman. Her YouTube channel is Ariel Bissett. So I'm gonna really, really going to miss seeing the color every year. So Anne and I discussed that we might pick a color that represents our reading manifesto for the year, and we'll post that on our Instagram. So this year we decided that our manifesto should be to read with intention. So we'll be revealing the color and the full manifesto on our Instagram later this week. So keep an eye out for that. The other thing that I am going to miss is keeping up with authors. So I haven't found a new way to keep up with authors yet, um, but I'm trying to work on finding one. What I really loved about Goodreads was that you would get like an alert on your homepage when one of the authors that you follow would release a new book or announce that they were going to release a new book or have some sort of fun interaction with them. I know that I could sign up for email alerts, but I just think that that would be like my inbox would get flooded with all of these different authors sending alerts and keeping me updated. I also might sign up for newsletters from the website Literary Hub, which we're going to discuss in a minute. For me, I'd like, uh, I mean, as long as there's a replacement, I won't miss Goodreads too much. I guess like what I will miss is seeing people, I don't know, I might not miss it. <laughs> um, I have found myself like automatically just clicking on it on my like on my saved tabs when I open up Safari or Chrome, I mean, Google Chrome, I like immediately will just sometimes like, like the bookmark that I have for it and open it up. 
I have really enjoyed seeing what my friends are reading. And when I am interested in reading a book, going to that book's page and, you know, seeing which friends have already read it and what they had to say about it or how they rated it. But also ratings are like really hard to interpret. And like a lot of our friends will just leave a star review and it's like, well, what does this mean? And also this is something that I won't miss is like when I go to review a book and like this book just didn't do it for me. And then I see that all my friends have like rated it five stars and then I feel like super awkward. Yeah, Um, I know what you mean. I don't know. I think like fear of change and fear of missing out plays a little bit into like why it's hard to leave Goodreads. And like the familiar familiarity, like you said, mm-hmm. you've been on this app for like almost 10 years yeah. and I don't remember exactly. I think I've been on it a little bit less, but we've made big commitments to it and we've, at least I have written some very long detailed reviews. And so to walk away from also just like the potential, what you thought it was going to be, what you wanted it to be. I mean, it's hard to like admit that things didn't work out between us. I got to move on. <laughs> yeah. And I find that it's, it's really hard to be the first person to leave a site. Not, not mm-hmm. that we're the first person. We're not like trailblazers here, but some of the booktubers that I follow who have expressed, you know, disinterest in Goodreads and frustration with it still haven't left themselves. Right. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to leave. And I know like when I have tried to leave Instagram, it's tough because my friends will say like, like I'll ask them what's going on in their lives and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, I did this big, this big event happened in my life. I posted it on Instagram and I'm like, well, that's not the same as telling me about it. It's, it's really hard to leave a site. It's really, really difficult. There's so much social pressure to continue using it. And I think that's going to be one of the hardest things about leaving Goodreads is just like the social pressure to stay updated with your friends' lives. But I, yeah, I, I mean, I cannot in good conscience continue to use Goodreads. Yeah. I think part of that too is like, we've become so used to this passive transference of knowledge. When it comes to Goodreads, I actually enjoy that. Like where a lot of people don't really want to talk about books, don't want to talk about what they're reading. It's kind of like, I don't know, the people who are can be a little overbearing. I mean, obviously Robin and I could talk about books for hours, (laughs) but there are other friends that maybe I don't have that closeness with and I wouldn't necessarily like ask them what you're reading and what did you think about it and how to make you feel but like it, I don't know it's kind of an inside peek of your friends from yeah. like an aspect that they don't necessarily talk about a lot so I guess part of me will miss that until hopefully like the people that I enjoy being connected to in regards to reading come to another platform yeah yeah Speaking of going to another platform, we do have some recommendations of things that you could use instead of Goodreads. Of course, you can always just opt out of using social media for your reading altogether. Like you can always just use an Excel spreadsheet or keep a diary or not do anything. You don't have to record your reading. You don't have to rate every book that you read. I mean, we I never did anything like that until 2012, right? For the most, most of my life has been reading books and then putting them on my bookshelf. I didn't worry about rating them or having to keep a record of what I read. I just read. So it's always an option. You don't have to use anything if you don't want to. Yeah, whatever works for you. I mean, it's like very personalized. I don't know. I've I've always tried to like keep track of what I've read because I'm just that kind of person. And I do love the, like, I do love having everything organized. When I go on Goodreads, I can be like, well, when did I read that book? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, did I leave a review? Often I don't because I don't like doing free labor. I mean, that's that's one thing I will not miss about Goodreads is being conflicted about do I write a review for my own personal benefit when I want to go back and like see what I felt about this book or like, oh yeah, I know I read that. What did I think about it? So like I want to record that, but then I also feel conflicted about like, well, I don't really want my opinion to be out there for just for everyone to read. And I'm like self-conscious about reading. Yeah. The other thing is like, if he wasn't a billionaire making just like billions of dollars of passive income or it's so weird because I feel like reading should be like this wholesome activity. And maybe because I grew up reading like at the library and they are constantly like doing things for their community and contributing and, you know, community minded. It's so bizarre to have this bookseller turned just corporate giant 
exploiting that community yeah it's a little maddening and i wish like if he would do anything good for anyone like it would be easier to support him but he just doesn't yeah he's not a nice guy yeah so i can't i can't feel good about that like i feel better paying fines at the library than i do like (laughs) even browsing on amazon Uh, Yeah, it's just super disappointing. And also another thing that I want to say, and maybe this is better left for when we list things that we platforms will use instead, but Goodreads doesn't really provide a good function for encouraging you to read, which is weird because you'd think they want to lock you in somehow. But one of the websites we're going to talk about coming up is Storygraph. And Storygraph kind of has this way of first of all, the book recommendations that they give you is much better. Their algorithm is a lot, it makes a lot more sense than what uh, Goodreads provides. But like Goodreads, all it does is say like, oh, you like Harry Potter? Maybe you'll like Lord of the Rings. And it's like, okay, that's not really specific enough. Like there's a lot more nuance to Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings than just, oh, they're both fantasy. They are very different books. They're completely different books, even though they're in the same genre. While Storygraph is like, oh, this is a slow paced, reflective emotional book so maybe you'd like this other one that's also slow paced reflective and emotional right it kind of has a way of sort of like guiding you further into books and goodreads just doesn't have that it's like here's your list of 500 books you've listed as want to read good luck like it doesn't help you continue to use it Mm -hmm. so super frustrating yeah i have more to say on that once we kind of like talk about once we get to story once we graph. talk about story graph, then I have some thoughts. Okay, so we'll 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 move on. We'll move on to what we're good, what you you can use instead if you choose to continue using social media sites to document your reading. So one of them is library thing. I've tried to use library thing, but I didn't really love it. Um, like Goodreads, the UI is like really dated, like horrifyingly dated. And I downloaded the app a couple of years ago. And it didn't work like literally at all. Like it was non-functioning. It, I couldn't open up certain pages and perhaps it's improved because that was four to five years ago, but I, if, I'm not going to bother. Like if the UI sucks, like the desktop UI, I'm just, forget it. It's not worth my time. So it's something to look into. And I, I've seen a lot of people talk about it online, but I, it's not for me personally. The one zero article that we've referenced, um, we've referred to, also mentioned a website called Bookmarks. So the website is bookmarks.review and it's hosted by Literary Hub and their website is lithub.com. So it's not a social media site. I don't know why one zero sort of portrayed it to be one, but it's not. It's more of a place to get reviews from people who have experience reviewing books, like they have English degrees or something like that, um, or get other author information. It seems like a really good website for that, but it isn't a social media site. Um, They had a lot of interesting articles about like uh, their top 10 books of the decade, you know, comparing books about climate change to each other, like very high level literary minded type stuff. I want to hear more about my favorite authors. I want to get updates on them. But my one thing is that some of the books that they listed as their like top books of 2020, I read and I hated. Like I was like, <laughs> I can't believe that this book was chosen. But that'll whatever. I'm still going. I still want the update. So yeah. And do you want to start us off with Storygraph? Yeah. So Storygraph is it's beta right now. Um, yeah. You introduced me to it when. I think like a couple months ago, you were like, we have to get off Goodreads. And I was like, <laughs> yeah, probably. And you were like, no, actually. <laughs> um, so I downloaded this um, when it was beta and it still is. The app is kind of like a, you add the, you add the page to your, I don't know how to explain that. Yeah. It doesn't um, have an app in the app store. Like it isn't something that you can download the way you download Facebook messenger or something like that. But the Safari app on iPhones has an option to create a thing that looks like an app for a website. So it takes the desktop version of Storygraph and sort of transforms it into an, a thing that looks like an app and functions as an app, but it's not their official app, basically. Mm-hmm. You can tell we're really, really good tech people over here. <laughs> still a better app than Goodreads. <laughs> yeah, still a better app than Goodreads. It's true. 
<laughs> um, so yeah, this is like a relatively new site. Um, still in the beta stage, but they've now just introduced like a premium platform. Yeah. It's like transition stage, but the beta is like actually really good, in my opinion. Uh, you can sign up and use it, and it's very similar to Goodreads, but with a few adjustments that make it a lot nicer. First of all, your homepage is your books, not what your friends have read, which for us, I think, takes some of the pressure off of reviewing. I know, like, when I open Goodreads and it's all my friends, what they've read or, like, their reading challenges, I get kind of overwhelmed. Um, yeah. Whereas, like, Storygraph, it feels a lot more calm because, like, when I log in, or I go to the site immediately, it's the books that I'm currently reading and what I want to read, recommendations for me. It's just like, it feels a lot more personal, which I really like because I have anxiety. <laughs> Secondly, you can much more easily track your reading challenge, including the Pop Sugar Reading Challenge. And this is huge for me. And on yeah. honestly, 2020 is the first year that I've actually finished the Pop Sugar Reading Challenge. And so much of that I attribute to using Storygraph yeah. because they have challenges. And so all the prompts are added and then you can add your book to the prompt. And then when you finish reading it, it automatically counts it towards your challenge, which is just amazing. This is what I really love is you can also click on books added to see what other people have read. So say, you know, a Western, Westerns aren't really your thing. You need some ideas. What are other people reading? Or like, what actually is a Blundig's Roman or whatever? Like, what are, <laughs> like, what are people using for these prompts? And it just makes it so, so much more easy and yeah. clear. And, and they give you a percentage, right? For how much you've yeah. finished. So if you've read 50% of the prompts, it tells you and you can be like, yes. And it tells you how far behind you are. I mean, Goodreads offers that function for your overall Goodreads challenge, but it doesn't let you sign up for other challenges. Mm -hmm. I found like yeah. the Pop Sugar Reading Challenge groups on Goodreads. It's just chaos. It's it, chaos. It was like yeah. so hard for me to like find books. I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong. And Robin, maybe you know more. In order to find prompts for Pop Sugar Reading Challenge on Goodreads, I would have to go into Google, Google Goodreads book with a pink cover, and then I could find a list on Goodreads of all the books with pink covers that people were using for that prompt. But I could never figure out how to actually do that from Goodreads or in yeah. the app. No, same, same. Completely exact same experience. I would have to Google like the name of the prompt with like Goodreads attached because Goodreads doesn't mm -hmm. just easily allow you to find the groups that you're a part of, even though there is a groups tab on Goodreads, it's still difficult to find what you're looking for. Um, and then once you get into the pop sugar reading challenge, Goodreads group, there's these like, Oh God, I don't even know how to explain it. It's so outdated and just bizarre to use. Like there'll be, you know, it'll say like 2020 general uh, prompts for Pop Sugar Reading Challenge. And then there's a separate section that's like 2020 advanced prompts because Pop Sugar always has the regular ones and then like 10 or so advanced prompts that you can do more than 40 prompts. It brings you to 50 or 52. And under each of those headings, there'd be each individual prompt, but it doesn't sort them by like the order or alphabetical or whatever. It sorts it by who, which prompt has the most conversation, which is fair, I suppose, but it would be a little bit easier in this section or in this type of group to have it in order of prompt because they all have start with one. It'll say like prompt one, longest book you own, right? Mm -hmm. So it would make sense to have it sorted like that. But anyways, and then you'd click on that, it would open up a new window. And then inside of that chat or inside of that window, there would be a link to go to the list that people are voting on for what books fit that prompt. And then that would open up another new window. And then, oh my gosh, it's just like, I don't need to open up like four windows to find this stupid list. Like it shouldn't be this friggin' difficult. So frustrating. And Storygraph makes it a lot more straightforward. Yeah, it's 
like they did a beautiful job with the reading challenges and you yeah. there's a section where you can like click to go to reading challenges and browse through and just yeah. like i saw so many interesting reading challenges like people make up their own there's like different publications or groups create theirs and i even created one just to see how hard it would be and it was so easy to put together a reading challenge and then people can just join and it's like the user experience is just so much more comfortable yeah i mean that like we talked a little bit like the ui is just more pleasing and the aesthetic is really nice it's really clean it's not all like jumbled Beige. i don't know honestly goodreads the app the page it looks like you're reading like classifieds yeah ads, where it's just yeah. too much information on the page and it's ugly and it's why just... is it still beige so ugly I, I don't know i i don't get it but story graph it's all white and black it's just like very clean there's a lot more freedom when you're reviewing so like you can give books half stars and you can like there's all these different categories like were the characters likable were they well developed what is the pace of the book and like are the characters diverse and you can provide trigger warnings which like i think is incredibly important so like if there's racism or sexual assault you could say that and other readers can see that it's nice to see more awareness and yeah. just like inclusivity of people's experiences and you can you can also see what percentage of people voted for what thing on the book so if 100% of people voted that the characters are diverse you know like okay yes they're diverse whatever but there's other stuff like maybe only 50% of people voted that there is animal abuse in the book or something and 50% said no it's something to sort of you can be aware of and you can also say to what extent the trigger warning is um, to, to, how, to how people can say how severe they found it. So mm -hmm. if there's like, there's an option to say like racism, like minor, I think major, and then like explicit or graphic or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's like a really important feature. Yeah. It's also like, it seems to be really good at recommending books. And yeah. an interesting thing that it does is it actually tells you what kind of reader you are based on like all the books that I've added. It's like, oh, well, you like medium paced books that are under 300 pages and <laughs> this kind of like <laughs> genre. And I was like, what? Yeah. Is this what I... So yeah. I, I mean, it, it might make you feel a little bit seen, but then it's like, oh, wow. Like now that I know that, I kind of want to read it and like longer books because like, why am I not reading these longer books? Yeah, or like watch myself. How do I like get out of my shell or like diversify yeah. my reading based on like I mean those kind of analytics are just not what my brain automatically like calculates in yeah. my own personal life. So it's really kind of cool to see like oh wow, this is my personality type. Am I happy with that? Do I want to change anything? So that's nice. And like the recommendations are really cool. Like you can tell Storygraph like what kind of books you're in the mood for. Say you want a medium paced, lighthearted and funny book and it will suggest books with those tags, which are based form, on what right? other readers have like rated them. Yeah. It's like yeah. you fill out a form, right? It's like a questionnaire I, and then it gives you recommend. I think. I think anyways. Yeah. I haven't experimented too much with that because I had so many books to read. Mm. I do like that it's more personalized and not just yeah. if you connect your Amazon account, we can give you better recommendations. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Which <sighs> I refuse to do. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, for those like talking a little bit about like the transition from Goodreads over to a new platform, I found that Storygraph did a really good job of transferring my list. It wasn't perfect, but it was easy. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to? I'll, yeah, I'll talk about it a little bit. Um, so there's an option on Goodreads to extract. You'd have to, um, like Storygraph has a really good breakdown of how to do this. I don't remember every single step exactly, but essentially there's an option on Goodreads to extract your reading list. So it extracts the books that you want to read, the books that you've read, and it tries to take your rating and when you've read it and the edition that you read, but it's not a flawless transition. And then it, it gives you, I believe, an Excel spreadsheet. It pumps it into an Excel sheet. 
And then you can take that Excel sheet and basically import it into StoryGraph and it'll update. But like I said, it's not perfect. So some of the books that I had read didn't go over seamlessly. And some of them were really common books. Like it didn't bring over The Little Prince, which is a super common book. I would have understood, I have a book that's like a history book of our university radio station. And like, I would understand if that didn't go over because I like, I uploaded that book onto Goodreads. It would make sense that it wouldn't come over, but I was really surprised that the little prince didn't move over. And then sometimes it didn't catch my rating or it didn't get the edition correct, which doesn't like really matter to me that much. Like I don't really care. And I can always, like, I'm going to keep my Goodreads accounts that if uh, there's information that didn't get transferred over and I really want it for some reason, I can just go to Goodreads and get it. But like, I don't, I don't mind if it's not perfect, but if you're someone who for whatever reason has your books, like really diligently organized, you might want to be, it might take you a little bit longer. It'll take you some time to fully transition to story graph. Yeah. Which if you're that type of personality, hello, hi, um, you're used yeah. to that. <laughs> yeah. I have a theory about like with The Little Prince because it's a translation and then also there are so many editions of that yeah. book. Maybe that's how it got lost. Yeah. Um, just because like if one platform is like, okay, well, this is the edition of The Little Prince that we're using like the ISBN for, but StoryGraph is using a different ISBN yeah. because it's a different edition. Maybe they wouldn't show up as like the same yeah. thing. Some, this is just a theory. Happens. I'm just yeah. I don't know. Here. Yeah, but I mean, it was very easy for me to just I just opened StoryGraph and Goodreads on pages together, and then just scrolled through and just saw what was missing. Yeah, that's a good idea. I should do that. And like some of the editions are weird. <sighs> yeah, yeah, some of them are. StoryGraph is also a small company. It's not owned by Amazon or any other large organization like Google or Facebook or something like that. And it's run by a woman who actually pays her taxes and she's on record having said that she pays her taxes. So if you look up Lena, I believe her name is Lena Norms. So it's L-E-E-A-N-N-O-R-M-S. She has an interview with the owner of StoryGraph and the owner basically describes the website, how she came to have come up with it. And they discuss what's wrong with Goodreads, similar to what we've discussed now. And the owner has said, yes, I pay my taxes. Yes, we are a responsible company. So that is very, very important to, to us here. Yes. Yeah. As I said before, it does cost money for the premium account, but it's free to use for everybody else. So it's $50 USD a year to use the premium account. It keeps ads off of StoryGraph, so you're not being forced to look at all of these ridiculous ads or and you're not having your information sold to companies who want to advertise things to you. And it offers some other fun perks that personally I don't need. I don't have the premium account and I don't think that I ever would have the premium account, but I know some other people who have purchased it and they really enjoy it. But some of the stuff, it's just like, I don't read enough in order to need it. Like it gives you more personalized recommendations, but like I, like I have enough books, like I don't need more personalized recommendations. I'm good, but it is something to consider getting because it is, it's really important to pay for things. Yeah. I mean, from, from my perspective, it's not just like, oh, more bells and whistles. It's like, if you want a more personalized experience, cause it's like, more personalized recommendations and like access to a discord community things like that i would say that's not like an unreasonable amount of money if those are things are important to you so finally if you want to buy a book that you have seen on storygraph it will link you to either bookshop.org or blackwells.co so blackwells is a uk-based book retailer with 45 shops in the uk so to contrast that barnes and nobles has 627 stores in the united states and indigo which is a canadian bookstore has 86 super uh, stores under the banner of chapters in indigo and then 123 stores under the banner of Kohl's. So their chapters and Kohl's are owned by Indigo. So Blackwell's is relatively small in comparison with Barnes and Noble and Indigo. Bookshop.org is a US-based online bookseller that gives back directly to independent bookshops. So if you must buy books online, it seems like a bit of a better option than Amazon. However, nothing beats actually purchasing from the store itself. So if you purchase from bookshop.org, you can choose which independent bookstore you want to give money back to. And I think it gives like 30% back to the shop. So the bookstore has to choose to be involved with bookshop.org, but there are stores that are not involved that bookshop gives 
like the general pool back to. So if you have a local bookstore that is not involved, it can still receive charitable donations from Bookshop. Um, it's still in its beta stages as well, but it's much better than Amazon just simply from the fact that it supports independent shops. But again, like if you can actually get out to the store, you're giving 100% of your funds to the store. So that's a little bit of a better option, but I understand that some people live in rural communities or they don't have any near them, or maybe they're not able to go out because of COVID or something like that. Maybe their shops aren't offering curbside pickup. I don't know. There's a lot of things that could stop someone from getting out. So it's just something to know about. Finally, this is not a sponsored ad or promotion of any kind for StoryGraph. And StoryGraph is definitely not perfect. It's still being tested, but so far we're really happy with it. Um, I actually had a suggestion of some features that they could add and I emailed them and they responded and they were super nice and said that they would think about it and consider it and stuff. And they're like a really great company. Yeah, I, I really recommend it, but we are not affiliated with them in any capacity. We are not being paid for this in any way. So this is completely just our honest opinion. I think that's, yeah, that's our opinion. Do you have anything else you want to add about Goodreads and like any other thoughts or I can think of like just a couple of things to say, which yeah. is like for me, especially being in isolation, like talking about books has become really important to me. Yeah. And uh, Storygraph doesn't have this yet, but I wish that there was some kind of platform that made it easier to kind of have a book club. Because I know on Goodreads, uh, one of our friends did start book club group yeah, for us that. and they just did not work. They didn't, yeah, they were totally. so difficult and like no one could figure out how to use them. It was very hard to even add members or join. And then there just wasn't any, like, there were no real tools for yeah. making a book club work on that platform. And I don't really know what the answer is or if there is a platform that really does a good job. But what I just have such huge criticism of doing something if you're going to do it so poorly. Yeah. And that's like insulting. It's like, why did you even, why do you, why do you try to do this if you're not going to do it right when you have the means? Yeah. And totally. so like, I mean, those book clubs we started years ago and there's been no improvement. So I feel like kind of cheated a little bit. And I just want to say to people, like, if you choose to stay with Goodreads or you choose to leave, making a big change like that, I know like <laughs> I might sound silly, but like it is a big deal to make a big change in your life. And just to like go slow and gently, like you don't have to just like delete immediately. I'm much more of the opinion that, you know, just it's a process of like eliminating bad things from your life and replacing them with better things. Yeah. And don't feel guilty if you're not ready to let go of something that you've invested hours of your life and years of your life into. Because I feel that I don't want to lose all of the effort that I put into my Goodreads. Yeah. So I don't want anyone to feel bad after they listen to this episode. But if yeah. you do, that's also okay. And like, just be gentle and, you know, think, just maybe become more aware of like, what do you really want for yourself out of these platforms? And are they providing that for you? And, you know, just being more aware of yeah. like what we're supporting, what we want, what we need, how we can do best for ourselves and like the community. Yeah. And, you know, it was really hard for me to sort of, accept that I had to leave Goodreads and to, to move on from it. And I, like, I am sad about it, right? Like it's something that I've been using for almost 10 years. And I just want to say like, we have all been scammed by Amazon and we have all been hurt by Amazon. And if you're sitting there feeling upset or frustrated that you are realizing that you need to move away from Goodreads, like you're not the only person who was hurt by Amazon. And there are a lot of people who've experienced far worse things, like people have lost their businesses because of Amazon. And it's a, it's a very villainous, almost cartoonly villainous company. And, you know, yeah, it, it just, it sucks that we got treated this way by Goodreads and by Amazon. So you're not alone in feeling disappointed. So Anne and I are going to provide our story graph information so we're not going to list it here because it's a little difficult to like list your social media information verbally, but it will be on our Instagram, which again will be plugged at the end of the episode. So we'll put it, it will have a link tree in the bio and you can follow us through, 
through that. And you can see what we're reading because there are books that we read that we don't talk about in the podcast because of time or because we don't think that people are going to be interested in it or something. So you can keep updated. And then if you see something through Storygraph that you're like, why didn't you talk about that? I want to hear about it. We can, we can discuss it. Yeah, for sure. We're definitely open to community engagement and what you guys want to hear. I mean, we've read a lot this year that we didn't talk about for different yeah. reasons or I don't know. I, I like, yeah, if you, if you're a reader and you're interested in what I'm reading, like, yeah, you can definitely hit us up on social media and like join challenges with us if you want to read what we're reading. Or if you see like a, a book that we read years ago and you're like, oh, I want to hear your opinion or can you comment on it or discuss it or whatever, like that's totally fine. We might not be able to provide a great conversation with books that we read, you know, five, six years ago, but we can try. So yeah. Okay. I think that's it. Obviously there's tons more to criticize oh, and say yeah, and like so analyze, much. but like for today, for this episode, I think we've covered a lot and we are open to discussing with Lots any more. listeners who are interested in conversing with us. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Bye. And that's our show. Thank you for joining us here at Boxed and Frayed. We have been your hosts, Anne and Robin. You can email us at boxedandfrayed.podcast at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram at foxandfrayed.podcast. And there you can find a link to our website, which has a master list of all of the books we've discussed. We'll talk to you next time. Happy reading. <laughs>